0: We did push that. You know these people. Oh I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, What ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. According to Wikipedia, the human eye functions by focusing light onto a layer of photoreceptor cells called the retina, which forms the inner lining of the back of the eye. The focusing is accomplished by a series of transparent media. Light entering the eye passes first through the cornea which provides much of the eye's optical power. The light then continues through the fluid just behind the cornea, the anterior chamber, then passes through the pupil. The light then passes through the lens which focuses the light further and allows adjustment of focus. The light then passes through the main body of fluid in the eye, the vitreous humor, and reaches the retina. And then, well, you know the rest. You see stuff. But of course, in order to see stuff from really far away, like from outer space, or to see stuff that's really tiny, you need technology and science. Of course, you also need science and technology in order to make artificial tear glands cry, and to create bionic eyes for the vision impaired. And even though seeing is believing, I'm gonna let you at least hear about some of this, and then some. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio, I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. From CNBC, satellite imagery specialist Capella Space on Thursday released the first images captured by its two latest spacecraft... Launched in January, the firm is trying to tap part of an earth intelligence market it estimates is worth about 60 billion dollars. Capella's business is based on combining a special type of imagery with a small inexpensive spacecraft. The company is building a network of satellites that can capture images of places on Earth multiple times a day. The imagery, known as Synthetic Aperture Radar, S-A-R, allows Capella's satellites to capture images at any time, even at night or through cloud cover. The company plans to use its technology to capture part of the government-focused market of intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, CEO Pyotr. Benazada told CNBC he estimates this so-called intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance section accounts for two-thirds or 40 billion dollars of the total earth intelligence market he said quote a third of that is space-based as of today but what's happening now is a rapid really exponential growth in earth observation and with capabilities like SAR end quote. San Francisco based Capella has raised about 100 million dollars since its founding in 2016 and has around 100 employees. The company has three satellites in orbit and plans to launch four more by year-end. Capella is not alone in the radar imagery market. Finnish startup ISI is also working on a network of satellites with 10 launched to orbit, and while Capella has the upper hand in the government market as it's based in the U.S., IceEye announced plans to expand from Finland and Poland with a new U.S. satellite factory. The company released the first high-resolution images from its Capella-3 and Capella-4 satellites, which launched with about 140 other spacecraft on SpaceX's Transporter-1 mission in January. The new images show the Rybaki Nuclear Submarine Base in Western Russia, the Temple of Heaven buildings in Beijing, and the India Gate in New Delhi. Venazada said this imagery has multiple advantages over standard optical imaging satellites, like those of Maxar Technologies or Planet Labs. For starters, it isn't blocked by clouds or darkness. Quote, You can have thousands of optical satellites, but you're only limited to 25% of Earth, Benazadeh said, we have access to the entire earth all the time, end quote. He added, the other big factor is that the radar-based system, quote, is a coherent active measurement system, end quote. That means the radar signals sent out by the satellites and reflected off the ground have, quote-unquote, information hidden that includes characteristics of what is in the image. He said, the signal then comes back differently, quote, based on the material, the texture, and and the moisture. End quote. Capella's satellites deliver imagery with a 50 centimeter resolution, meaning each pixel in the image represents a 50 by 50 centimeter piece of the ground. So a car, which would be 4 meters by 2 meters, would be shown with 8 pixels by 4 pixels. Capella initially wanted to focus on commercial marketplaces, such as the insurance, energy, and agricultural sectors, but the majority of the market is dominated by the U.S. government and its allies, quote, the biggest customer of geospatial imagery in the world is the U.S. government, Benazada said, that's where the big opportunity in the short term is and it's a massive market with unmet demand, end quote. In Qtel, the venture capital firm funded by the CIA was one of Capella's early investors. On Thursday, the company announced an expanded partnership with InQtel, which Benazada says will see Capella Deliver quote services and products through InQtel to its customers. End quote. Tom Gillespie, In-Q-Tel managing partner of investments, said in a statement that the firm is quote excited about the capabilities offered by Capella's newest systems in orbit. We look forward to working with the company to help our government partners address their enduring need for reliable and repeatable imagery despite poor weather for applications that include disaster relief and environmental land use." Unquote. The other key aspect of Capella's offering is the turnaround time for its imagery. From the time a client requests an image, how long does it take the company to capture the photo and return the requested analytics? Banazada said, quote, I sometimes joke that with some of the Earth observation companies, it's faster for a customer to jump on a plane, pay 4000 bucks for a business-class flight over the place that you want to take a look at, literally take a look from the window, and then come back. On average, we can get that data down within 20 minutes or so from the time that it actually gets collected." End quote. Capella has partnered with Amazon's AWS for data storage, processing, and even ground stations to return data from the satellites. Capella expects to have collected about 10 petabytes of data from its satellites by the end of the year. For context, Benazada compared that to of Facebook generating about four petabytes of data a day. While Capella captures only a fraction of that for now, Banazada expects that by 2025, his company is going to collect at a rate of about 400 petabytes per year. Amazon then will quote unquote scale with us, he said, removing the need for Capella to build its own data processing services. Capella is vertically integrated, designing and building its own satellites operating them in space, and then connecting to customers through its software platform and analyzing data it receives. Capella will continue to build and launch satellites as it sees demand grow, he added. Our tech has been validated. Our market has been validated. Our product has been validated. We're generating revenue from assets that we have in space, and so the next phase of the company is really scaling up and growing. End quote. CNBC.com Meanwhile, back on Earth, from live science, Russian scientists have deployed a giant telescope into the frigid depths of Lake Baikal in southern Siberia to search for the tiniest known particles in the universe. The telescope, Baikal GVD, is designed to search for neutrinos, which are nearly massless subatomic particles with no electrical charge. Neutrinos are everywhere but they can interact so weakly with the forces around them that they're hugely challenging to detect. That's why scientists are looking under Lake Baikal, which at 5,577 feet deep is the deepest lake on Earth. Neutrino detectors are typically built underground to shield them from cosmic rays and other sources of interference. Clear, fresh water and thick protective ice cover make Lake Baikal an ideal place to search for neutrinos, researchers told the news service AFP on March 13th. The scientists deployed the neutrino detector through the ice about 2.5 miles from the lakeshore in the southern part of the lake, lowering modules made of string, glass spheres, and stainless steel up to 4,300 feet into the water. The glass spheres hold what are called photomultiplier tubes, which detect a particular kind of light that's given off when a neutrino passes through a clear medium, in this case lake water, at a speed faster than light travels through that same medium. This light is called Cherenkov light, after one of its discoverers, Soviet physicist Pavel Cherenkov. Researchers have been looking under Lake Baikal for neutrinos since 2003, but the new telescope is the biggest instrument deployed there so far. All told, the strings and modules measure about one-tenth of a cubic mile, Dmitry Namov of the Joint Institute for Nuclear Research told AFP. According to the scientific consortium that developed the telescope, it will also be used to search for dark matter and other exotic particles. By call, GVD is about half the size of the largest neutrino detector on Earth, the IceCube South Pole Neutrino Observatory, which consists of the same type of light-sensing modules as Baikal GVD embedded in 0.2 cubic miles of Antarctic ice. IceCube detects about 275 neutrinos from Earth's atmosphere each day, according to scientists on the project. The Russian scientists and their collaborators in the Czech Republic, Germany, Poland, and Slovakia plan to expand Baikal GVD to the size of IceCube or larger in the upcoming years. livescience.com. In other news. From IEEE Spectrum There are many, many wearable and portable devices aimed at improving life for the blind and visually impaired. In some cases, even restoring vision. Such designs have been developed for pretty much every part of the body. Fingers, wrists, abdomen, chest, face, ears, feet, even the tongue. The thing is, people don't want to wear them. During the annual meeting of the Cognitive Neuroscience Society, CNS, held virtually this week, Roxander Tivedar of the University of Bern in Switzerland said quote, all of these wearables currently on the market have very low acceptance from the community because you look like some sort of Robocop when you wear them and people don't want to attract attention to their impairment end quote. plus there's a major unmet need in the field for tools for children noted Monica Gori, director of the unit for visually impaired people at the Italian Institute of Technology in Geneva, Italy Of the 300 million people worldwide With visual impairments An estimated 20 million are children She said Yet in an analysis of 48 devices Available to date Only two of them were designed for kids During a Tuesday panel at the conference Tividar, Gori, and other panelists Described several new solutions in the field Here we share a quick glimpse at three of them A textured tablet to explore 2D space. If you're not familiar with French company Hap to use technology. It's a haptic interface that relies on ultrasonic vibrations beneath a display surface to create more or less friction against fingertips, producing detailed touch sensations. As a graduate student with Micah Murray at the University of Lausanne in Switzerland, Tividar, now a member of the Cognitive Computational Neuroscience Group at Bern, and colleagues used Hap2U's technology on a tablet to recreate 2D outlines of an apartment layout. The scientists then asked sighted participants who were blindfolded to explore the textured layout with their fingertips. In this unpublished work presented at CNS, the team found that after exploring a room via touch on the device for 45 minutes and being trained on sightless exploration, the participants successfully navigated the real apartment space. During the presentation, Tivadar said, quote, Digital haptic technology successfully transmits space information, end quote. She and colleagues worked with Hap2U to develop the company's ability to use textures to represent space. The most practical application, she noted, would be to use the technology directly on a mobile phone in combination with audio and GPS cues to explore a physical space, which Hap2U is already developing. A sound... Sound solution for Kids Over the last decade Gory's lab has repeatedly Found that blind children Often exhibit impairments In spatial sound and touch Tasks such as judging Space between sounds Or identifying the orientation Of an object with touch In the hopes of preventing these Perceptual and social delays Gory says quote, I wanted to have something really simple A simple sound device that can be processed without any cognitive load or training, end quote. So she created the Audio Bracelet for Blind Interaction, ABBI, a bracelet with an integrated audio system and motion sensors that produce sound to help restore a sense of space in the absence of visual data. In a study of 44 blind children aged 6 to 17, the children who used ABBI over a period of three months in a series of training. Activities improved their auditory and motor skills and maintained that improvement a year later as compared to a control group of children who did not use the device. Restoring Sight, Retinal Implants, and Optogenetics Serge Picot, director of the Institute of Vision in Paris, France, offered an update on retinal prosthesis and optogenetic therapies, two strategies to restore sight to the blind and visually impaired. After the poor performance of second sight's Argus II implant and closing of retina implant AG, he and others are now investigating devices that can stimulate the the eye to at least 625 pixels, which should allow some facial recognition. He is working with Pixium Vision in Paris to develop a wireless 378 electrode chip called Prima, born out of Daniel Polanker's lab at Stanford University. So far, patients with the implant do seem to recover some vision, such as being able to read letters. He says quote, currently patients are reaching a level where they are just below the level of legal blindness end quote. To achieve 625 pixels, the team could use two implants in one area or slightly smaller electrodes on one implant. But to achieve the resolution of cells, Piccowd's team has moved into investigating optogenetic therapy in which a gene is introduced to cells in the back of the eye to make them more photosensitive. GenSight Biologics, of which Piccowd is a founder and member of its scientific Advisory Board recently moved that work from primates into human clinical trials for patients with retinitis pigmentosa, a rare inherited eye disease. Spectrum.ieee.org. And now for something completely different, to quote Monty Python, scientists grew tiny tear glands in a dish, then made them cry, as reported by Scientific American. At first, it took a long time, up to a day, to make the cells cry. But with experience and a little prodding, the researchers eventually made them weep in only half an hour. The tearful cultures reported in Cell Stem Cell on March 16 are the first tear gland organoids, three-dimensional assemblages of cells that are designed to resemble miniature versions of organs. Organoids of the glands that produce tears could be used to study and eventually treat disorders that cause dry eyes, including an autoimmune condition called Sogren's syndrome. Ocular pathologist Gita Vemu. Ganti at the University of Hyderabad in India says, quote, it's very promising, end quote. In addition to their role in displaying emotion, tears help to lubricate and protect the eye. Dry eyes can be painful, inflamed, and prone to infection. To study tear production, developmental biologist Hans Clevers Laboratory at the University Medical Center Utrecht in the Netherlands developed a way to grow tear gland cells as organoids. The group Group has found ways to grow a menagerie of organoids, including miniature livers, cervical cancers, and snake venom glands. Tear glands, also called lacrimal glands, are a particular challenge to study, says Darlene Dart, who studies tear production at Massachusetts Eye and Ear in Boston. The glands are located above each eyeball, behind the bony orbit of the eye, making them difficult to biopsy. Samples, when researchers can get them are often tiny, she says. Clever's lab used their expertise to work out culturing conditions for cells from mouse and human lacrimal glands. To stimulate tear production, they then exposed the organoids to several chemicals, including the neurotransmitter norepinephrine that relay messages between nerve cells and glands. Because the organoids lack ducts, tear production causes them to swell. Clevers says, quote, if they." there had been a little duct, there would have been droplets, end quote. and when the team transplanted the organoids into mice, the assemblages matured and developed duct-like structures containing proteins found in tears. The team hopes that the cells can be used to study tear glands and to screen for drugs that affect tear development. Clevers and his colleagues have already used CRISPR genome editing to study tear gland development and have found that a gene called Pax-6 is important in guiding cells to take on a tear gland identity. Pax-6 is a known regulator of eye development, expressing the fly version of Pax-6 on the leg of a fruit fly will cause an eye to develop there. Clevers Lab is now teaming up with Dutch naturalist and television show host, Freak Vonk, to study structures resembling tear glands in crocodiles. The team hopes to use the organoids to study Actual crocodile tears, which the reptiles use as a way to excrete salt. Organoids derived from human cells could also eventually provide material for transplants to replace diseased or damaged tear glands. Clever's group and its collaborators have developed salivary gland organelles that will be tested in clinical trials starting this summer for people who suffer from dry mouth, a condition that can cause tooth decay and difficulty in chewing and tasting. Those salivary gland trials could serve as a testing ground to work out methods that could then be adapted for future tear gland transplants, says Dart. In the meantime, she says, the work that Clever's team has done in characterizing tear glands, including creating a detailed cell-by-cell map of the structures and their organoids, have demonstrated that the glands are more heterogeneous than was previously appreciated and could send research Researchers back to interpret old data. Quote, that has implications for a lot of studies. End quote. ScientificAmerican.com. Does so anyone else find it slightly disturbing that they were talking about growing an eyeball on a fruit fly's leg, and then they were talking about salivary glands while talking about tear ducts? Are they going to grow tear ducts accidentally on your tongue? That would bring a whole new meaning to "quote unquote" mouth watering. But that's enough for today, folks. In Actuality, my mouth is getting pretty dry. But luckily, I don't need science to help me out in this department. I just need a glass of water. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Thursday, March 18, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.